Hello, baby. It's 1986. Welcome to Rock and Roll Shinsu Chu, episode number 57. My name is Gabe Estel. I'm here with Jonathan Getz, Dennis Levi Leach. How's it going, guys? Wonderful. Well, Bodacious. as I said, awesome. <laughs> All right, as I said, we're taking our audience to 1986 tonight. 1986, the rocket strikes out 20 people. He wins the Cy Young and the MVP. Bill Buckner's boot helps the Mets win the series. You have Hall of Famers like Tom Seaver and Tony Perez playing their final seasons. Pete Rose, Vita Blue, and Dave Kingman also saw the last action of their storied careers. But Bonds, McGuire, Maddox, and believe it or not, the recently, just recently retired Jamie Moyer all made their MLB debuts in 1986. In music, while Whitney and Madonna dominated the Billboard charts, rock made its biggest impact with Van Halen's 5150, first album of Sammy Hagar. Steve Winwood's Back in the High Life and Genesis Invisible Touch. Peter Gabriel and Dire Straits helped continue to revolutionize the music video. The Clash, Black Flag, and the Dead Kennedys all disbanded. We lost Thin Lizzy's Phil Lynott, the band's Richard Manuel, and Metallica's Cliff Burton, Cliff them all, to the great gig in the sky. But the debut LP from an underground hardcore punk and rap group out of New York City made one of the biggest impacts of the decade. The Beastie Boys, Licensed to Ill, was released in November of 1986 and will become the first hip-hop album to top the Billboard 200, cementing rap's place in the mainstream. And that's where we're going to begin our conversation tonight. All right. So, No sleep till Brooklyn. That's right. It's good to be back, guys. Um, And also, uh, what we're going to talk about tonight, really, we're going to talk about 1986, some things that we were into then, some things that came out in 1986, but we didn't get into them until later. We're going to talk about 1986 and baseball, which was one of the greatest uh, National League championship series ever. Uh, as well as a memorable World Series. We're going to talk about the uniforms of 1986. And then finally, we're going to show your cards. So we're going to share some 1986 baseball cards at the end of the episode. Uh, Before we begin, a little bit of housekeeping. Make sure that you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RockInChew. You can also find this episode and everything else that you'd like to know about Rock and Roll Shinsu Chu at RockChew.com. Also, please like us on Facebook, rate us on iTunes, whatever app you're using for to listen to the podcast. Please give us a favorable rating or a shitty rating. Doesn't matter. Just give us some. uh, Just tell us how we're doing and what you'd like to hear on the podcast. And uh, thanks for listening. So we'll go ahead and go into 1986 here, guys. Um, Levi would have been the youngest, right? Okay. Yeah, Yeah, Levi would have been five. You've been five. Okay. Um, I was seven. Jonathan was six. And you were the wise one, Gabe. I was, you showed us was. the way. Yes, absolutely. Um, so you know, uh, let me share just a couple things um, that uh, about 1986 and music for me, because I think this year, um, although I had been exposed to some rock and roll, uh, like my dad spun some records, my cousins were really into Van Halen. So I think that my music, my interest in music probably starts with Van Halen. Um, when 1984 came out, my cousin, Levi's cousins, 
you know, they would they would listen to it. They would have me come in the room and they want me to do kicks like David Lee Roth. <laughs> right. Um, so Van Halen really is my introduction, I think, to popular music, uh, probably like a lot of kids in the Midwest. And 1986 was a really um, a crossroads for Van Halen. And uh, they took the they took a route that really succeeded for them, as you know, kind of the unthinkable happened, and you had the lead singer of you know one of the biggest bands in the world leave the band, um, and then replaced by you know an established artist in Sammy Hagar. But um, it was sort of a risky move that paid off. But 1986 for me um, was more about David Lee Roth than Van Halen because Eat'em and Smile was the first piece of music that I think I independently purchased, right? So I bought the cassette for Eat'em and Smile in 1986. Um, I was, like a lot of people, you know, Dave had it when he was in Van Halen and then he had it for um, his solo record, Crazy Crazy from the Heat. Yep. And then he also carried that over into Eat'em and Smile. Like his videos are are great you know so the yankee rose video for me um that motivated me to to buy eat em and smile as really like the first piece of music um that i ever bought like independently like my dad had bought me billy idol's rebel yell on vinyl but i think he kind of drove that purchase a little more than i did because my dad really liked that record and he said like i could pick one out and i had heard the song but you know for me like eat em and smile was like i used you know, my money, like I'm sure that like a relative gave me to purchase Edom and Smile. Do you and I brought to it remember home. where you got it? Sam JR's Jr. music at the at the White Oak at White Oak Small. Wow. JR's yeah, music. Was that independent yeah, or was that a chain? I don't know. I don't, I don't, know. I don't even remember that story. Yeah, In JR's the mall, music. It seemed like it was always like Sam Goody or Music Land or Yeah, no, I got it at I got it at JR's, man. Nice. Yeah. So um, did your parents like see the title Eat em and Smile and think of anything? Or is no, like the old man anything. give you like a pat on the back? He's like, Yeah. Yeah. You know, my dad <laughs> liked my dad liked Van Halen. Yeah. So I think he approved of, of me yeah, purchasing yeah. Diamond Dave's record. Oh, yeah. Yankee Rose, that video is classic too. Yeah. Um and uh, before I, I pass the baton here to you guys for uh any of your selections in from eighty six um, you know, when we were talking about this episode, we were hashing it out and, you know, the other big Van Halen project related project that came out that year was obviously 5150, which proved to be more commercially successful than eat and smile. And probably, I, I shouldn't say probably definitely in the grand scheme of things, I don't think it's a better record than eat and smile necessarily, but it's probably a more, you know, memorable impactful. record, impactful, certainly. Yeah. Um, and Levi was saying that he didn't like 5150 all that much because he felt like Sammy Hagar was kind of doing a little bit of an impersonation of David. I thought he Roth. was aping. Yeah, he was kind of aping it a little. Even and the I way it some opens of that's, with the Hello Baby is yeah. Is and like and I think, I think a lot of that's true. Um, you know, I, th- I think that it was such a risky move to take on Hagar when when they were so huge. Like it'd be different if like they put out an album with Dave. And it was like it wasn't met with a lot of success. Yeah, yeah. But 1984 was like like hugely successful. Yeah, it was. And just like a year and a half later, you're going to be like, uh, we got this other dude. You know what I mean? Like that was a yeah. risky move. Um, and yeah. you know, 5150 debuted at number one. Um, 
But what Levi was saying about Dave, or I'm sorry, Sammy imitating Dave a little bit on that record, um, you know, Dave couldn't totally divorce himself from Eddie Van Halen because as much as I respect Steve Vai, Steve Vai was hired because he could play guitar like Eddie Van Halen. Absolutely. (laughs) That's why Steve Vai was put in to David Lee Roth's band, you know? I mean, they're both finger tappers, um, and and, and they're both great guitarists. I mean, Eddie particularly. Um, but, but yeah, you know, the, uh, Van Halen hung over Edom and Smile still, or Eddie Van Halen, at least hangs over Edom yeah. and Smile. Oh yeah, uh, I agree. Well, yeah. He they play totally, on the record. They, he needed kind of like a clone guitarist, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and just to, to, Steve Vai is more than tapping. Like if you listen to some of his solo sure. records, He's yeah. a lot more than that, but like I'm over some. He no, he totally filled the role like perfectly. Yeah, like even in the videos and stuff, he was like he was hamming it up. Like they were some of those videos are just epic. Well, like Dave wasn't gonna ha- like hire you know like Mark Knopfler as his guitarist. You know, <laughs> right. I mean, you need someone flashy. You know, if you're right? if you're gonna oh, be yeah. playing alongside Diamond Dave, you know. Oh, yeah. So I mean, right. yeah. Um. Right. So yeah, yeah. The Vi fit the bill definitely. Um. That's for sure. But yeah, and, and then the other one that I'll, I'll just mention um, uh, is the other album that I was into at the time was Look What the Cat Dragged In by Poison, uh, which came out in 86, but didn't really like find its – it didn't really find success until the following year in 87, uh, and it was huge. Um, but you know, this wasn't the first glam metal, not glam rock, mind you. With all due respect, Brett, Cece, you know, they weren't the New York Dolls or Mott the Hoople, all right? It's, but they're kind of rooted in that a little bit. Yeah, yeah, there's um, parts of that. Yeah, you know, it's when that genre of glam metal really went mainstream. You know, Motley Crue kind of provided the blueprint a little bit, but Poison put all those cards on the table. You know, oh, yeah. Slippery When Wet by Bon Jovi was released that year, and while it was a bigger record commercially... Its success, you know, kind of garners more appreciation or acknowledgement than Poison's record does, you know? Um, And I think the reason that that that's the case is because Bon Jovi maintained their popularity after that era subsided. You know, Bon Jovi survived the Seattle invasion. I mean, as a touring act, like Bon Jovi, like, plays stadiums, you know? I mean, you know, Poison didn't. Like, uh, granted, like, Poison didn't. You know, I mean, they as like a nostalgia act, um, they kind of survived, but not I, like Bon Jovi did. Though. Yeah, I, I I think that Bon Jovi never got totally lumped in with those bands because they weren't as raunchy. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, they were a little cleaner. Um, yeah, I, I, I know which is a good way to put it. Um, you know, they were New Jersey instead of L.A. Now, I don't know how much that mattered, but, uh, you know, it, it's Poison's success, though, with that record, look what the cat dragged in. You know, it really paved the way for the legion of bands that followed. You know, I mean, many of the acts profiled in what's probably my favorite music documentary, or at least one of them, The Decline of Western Civilization Part Two, The Metal Years. Most of the bands, many of them, profiled in that documentary can thank Poison for their record contracts or, you know, any brief success that they experienced. I mean, they can probably thank Poison for helping them get laid. You know, I mean, 
and it's weird because that that documentary is called The Metal Years and Poison and a lot of those similar bands, you know, like I don't know, the Bullet Boys and Trickster and yeah. you know, like they got those... they kind of got lumped into what was called hair metal. Yeah, and it's weird because that would be played alongside like like what I would consider real metal, you know, Megadeth, Slayer, Metallica, Anthrax. Oh, yeah. yeah, it was kind yeah. of like this uncomfortable. Mix. They existed sort of uncomfortably alongside yeah. all those harder bands, and, and also you know with Poison, um, what they did. A lot of veteran hard rockers kind of followed suit. You know, I mean, listen to Ozzy's records during that era. Alice Cooper, Kiss, you know, all of them followed Poison's lead after this this album came out. And so my final word is, you know, like them or not, Poison's important. And then I will hand it off to one of you. My, 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 my sorry, my, my Poison soliloquy. Uh, Go for it, Levi. No, I agree with what you said there. Um, for me, I can't talk about 1986 without talking about a MTV. Because I I had a sister that was 10 years older than me, and our house was kind of divided where it was like a living room and a bedroom on one side, the kitchen in the middle, and then on the other half of the house was two – like our bedrooms, me and my sister, and another living room. So the living room on our – Like a two-living room household. I remember that. (laughs) Yes. And so like the one living room was basically me and my sisters, and we would watch MTV basically unsupervised all the time. And so I, I I just grew up, you know, with MTV. And so I totally remember when the Addicted to Love video by Robert Palmer came <laughs> out. I remember it being mind-blowing. Just for the – A, the art of it, because you know what I mean? It does have just that quintessential 80s, like, art look with the makeup and the girls and the oh, dancing. Oh, it's awesome. It's so well executed. Yeah, yes. and – I just remember they played it over and over, so I got to see it a lot. And I remember my dad saw it even. Like, it was one of the few videos on MTV my dad saw and approved of. Dad's <laughs> you know, I we were watching it uh, the other night, and it's it's funny. Those girls have no idea how to how to play any instruments. And obviously, yeah. like, they aren't trying to pass it off. But, like, yeah, at one point, yeah. she's playing the guitar like a bass. Like, she's, like, slapping. Like, <laughs> and the drummer, if you notice, Robert Palmer's always positioned right, like, totally eclipsing the drummer. Because she has no idea what she's doing. At one point, they do, they do like, a, a close-up for a drum fill. But it's, like, man hands, you know? Like, drum fill is totally just, like, fingernail There's polish. Like hair. You see the hair on the backs of the balls. Yeah. It was, yeah. It's, it's amazing. An amazing video, though. Yeah. Dude, it was. And it was at a time when MTV pretty much ruled the world. It, it was at a time when, like, radio was kind of waning in popularity a little bit, and, like, MTV just took it to the next level. It was like, you know what I mean? Everything was an MTV exclusive, or we've got an exclusive interview, or, you know what I mean? So it they made, made you want to watch it all the exactly, time. Exactly, exactly. It was literally, like, on all the time at my house. Yeah. And so I, I remember that, and then I also remember getting introduced into – Obviously, at the time, everything was going on. There's the the pop, the new wave, the metal, all of all of the new stuff. And along came a couple of videos, and I'll talk about them both real quick. One of them was the Georgia Satellites, and it was the video for uh, "Keep Your Hands to Yourself," <laughs> and, and it's just a classic video of them like rolling around in the back of a peach truck or something, playing guitar like down in Georgia. And Rick and, Richards, man, tearing it uh, up. 
Yeah, and so I saw that video, and then they would also play, and this was in, it seemed like, it seemed like it was on a bunch of shows or in movies, but I remember the video for Timbuk3, their song, Gotta Wear Shades. Oh, yeah, yeah. And Timbuk3 was like a, a, I don't know if they were husband-wife, but they were they were a male-female duo that were together, and they were from, I believe, Wisconsin, Madison. And um, it was like kind of stripped down, like the Georgia Satellites. It was like some guitars and some harmonica and just kind of a, a driving beat. And uh, I just remember thinking like, wow, like it, it seemed like it was a, almost a rebirth of like older sounds. Yeah, it was a little so, bit of like, a... a- cow punk kind of going mainstream yeah, a little yeah, bit, you know a little bit for sure and with the the georgia satellites that song i mean is pretty much like a straight ahead blues song and it's amazing to think that that became popular and was a hit in 1986 yeah, alongside poison mm-hmm. and janet jackson and, yeah, and so right. like i to be introduced to like another side of that through mtv i i definitely appreciate yeah. and, and i just gotta say to 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 end these guys Timbuk3, that song, has one of the best lines, I think, in rock and roll. And it's, I got a job waiting after my graduation. 50,000 a year will buy a lot of beer. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that was, like, totally the Budweiser spring break party mentality of, like, thousands of kids in the 80s. Yeah, yeah, you know, know, like, 86, 87 graduations, everybody's raising their glass to that line. Oh, yeah. Singing it at the top of their lungs. Yeah. (laughs) Cracking yeah, up over so, Spuds Yeah, that was that was definitely <laughs> the stuff I appreciated at that time for sure. Yeah, for me it was it was also the videos uh, and and Peter Gabriel. I, I think what what he did uh, for that So album with Sledgehammer and Big Time. Watching those, man, watching those today, those things still hold up. Uh, Sledgehammer, especially on YouTube, it's nice and high def, and it looks awesome. Uh, yeah, it just oh, looks, yeah. looks real great. And actually, we were watching one of Madonna's videos, too, uh, from that era, and that looked awesome. Uh, so some of these have transferred to YouTube really well. And uh, uh, but, but what Gabriel was doing with the stop-action animation, uh, he used Wayne White, uh, who uh, uh, also worked with uh, on Pee-wee's Playhouse. And uh, uh, it's just... A, a captivating even even today so uh those are definitely worth a, another watch watch uh springsteen's glory days it's kind of kind of kind of a cheesy video of him like trying to look like a, a pitcher throwing his a pitcher th- yeah his cinematography <laughs> actually that uh i believe that one kevin costner movie was just based off that springsteen video <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> kevin costner's career as an actor i think yeah <laughs> other than yeah. Uh, um, the uh, Dire Straits, what they were doing with uh, like Money for Nothing, even Aha's Take on Me, uh, it's, it's an awesome right. video. You know, oh, yeah. Um, talk, talking Heads were doing a ton of stuff. ZZ Top's Rough Boy is is an interesting video. If you watch like the dismembered heads and and body parts playing, like it's it's yeah. the truck spaceship. Oh yeah, Dude, they had yeah, a ton, right. They were given boatloads of money for videos. That same year, I believe in 86, they had the sleeping bag video. And I think I mentioned it on an episode yeah, maybe before. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, dude, the the sleeping bag video has the chick from Nightmare on Elm Street in it. And then like another actor. And it's basically <laughs> like a mini movie. And it's like, how much money did they blow on this? Yeah, you yeah. can tell. Yeah, they're trying to hit their quota. Like, well, we better spend it all. <laughs> right? They're like, they won't give us any next time if we don't. <laughs> and, you know, I... 
like shortly after that era ended, you know, when I became sort of like more into like the seventies, I looked back on it, like kind of, you know, I thought it was, I looked back on it sort of, sort of scornfully, you know, and now it's like, man, that's so awesome that all that happened. <laughs> yeah. You know? I mean, it yeah. was just yeah, stuff like that just doesn't happen anymore. Like, you know, like that me like the video medium just will never capture anybody's attention like mm-hmm. it did back then. No, no, it's, uh, it takes, it takes a band like, okay, go with a, like a bunch of choreography or, or some long yeah. form piece that Beyonce does to really gain people's attention. And, and, and the, the shelf life for that is shorter. Oh, for bit, sure. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah you, you're, you're because be... it's gimmicky. A lot of that. Yeah. Cause something else that's viral will come along, yeah. you yeah, know, yeah. and yeah. it'll, it'll supplant right. it. Right. right. And, uh, uh, another fun one is, uh, Bowie and Jagger doing dancing in the street. That's, oh, a, God. that's a yeah. hoot. Yeah, uh, it is. Yeah. yeah. There's a part I in that video that. where they look like they're about to jump each other's bones. Yeah, I kept like from the kids. Yeah. You can tell there's like a sexual energy. You're like, whoa, guys. Yeah, yeah. Kept <laughs> waiting for him to kiss. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll be posting. Uh, we've already posted a couple videos on Facebook. Yeah. We'll be posting videos from 1986 throughout next uh, throughout the week uh, after you after this goes live. Yeah. Well, you know, segueing, we talked about what we liked then, and um, you know, we probably still like some of that now, or at least appreciate it. Um, but talking about things that we've discovered since then and that we listen to now, um, things that came out in 1986. What about you, Jonathan? What, uh, what, what have you discovered that came out in 1986 that you appreciate now? Um, that maybe that you probably didn't when you were six years old. Yeah, well, I, I didn't. I didn't appreciate anything real great when I was six. Uh, <laughs> right. Even my first forays into music were pretty questionable. Other than like a Capri Sun, maybe. You know, <laughs> yeah, know. <laughs> His yeah, first great thesis was on New Order. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, my favorite song was the Super Mario Brothers theme. Um, <laughs> uh, since then, you know, I, I've started to appreciate guys like Dwight Yoakam and, and his debut album, uh, Guitars, Cadillacs, etc., etc. Uh, is is awesome, uh, and oh, yeah, uh, just you know eight or nine songs uh, that that he put out uh, on that on that album, uh, including an awesome cover, Ring of Fire. Uh, you know he he um, you know he 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 brought that back that Bakersfield sound, mm-hmm. and uh, and and that's something I've really grown to appreciate uh, over the over the years. As you know, a kid, I did I didn't really like any any country until. You know, I, I kind of discovered Waylon Jennings in college, I guess. Um, uh, so that that was one thing. And actually, when they re-released that, uh, there's a uh, there's a live show associated with it, uh, live from the Roxy of all places. And oh, and that was his thing. Like he was kind of like the guy who would play the Roxy and the Grand Old Opera. Yeah, yeah. And it yeah, was yeah. kind of like somehow he managed that balance. You know. Yeah, 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 phenomenal, and the, the crowd ate him up, man. Just ate him up. Oh, yeah. But on the flip side of that, though, is uh, lately. So I, I code for a living. I I I write HTML, and and I've realized that to get in the zone, I, I can listen to kind of more um, electronic music. And so I've been listening to a lot of Kraftwerk lately. And right. uh, Kraftwerk's techno pop came out in '86, and I hadn't listened to it until I was uh, you know researching 1986 albums and. And uh, that that one is choice for me. I, I highly recommend Kraftwerk's techno pop. That is definitely a recent uh, taste. I've, I've I've grown accustomed to. Nice. I've I've not heard a lot of their '80s stuff. I have their like late '70s, the Autobahn record. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. I, in my opinion, yeah, you can't go wrong with that. It's uh, you know, it gets you in the zone. Well, to kind mm-hmm. of go along with your Dwight Yoakam, one of the records I really like that I do remember seeing. So, along with MTV, basically in my house, the kitchen divided it. In our living room, MTV was always on. The other living room where my dad and mom were, TNN, the original the TNN, Network. the Nashville yeah. Network, not CMT. So, no, no. no. <laughs> The Nashville Network. And so I got to see like that Guitars Cadillacs video they would play all the time. And another video they introduced at the rotation around that same time in 86. And the record was from then. I think it was in March that year. It's Steve Earle's Guitar Town. And it's considered his debut, but he had been kind of kicking around and playing, obviously. Been a songwriter. For time. Yeah. And um, as a kid, you know, it's hard to... You know, you can't get into songs like Good Old Boys, you know, getting tough and stuff like that. But, right. like, later you start to appreciate the lyrics and stuff as you get older. And that is such a great album and a great introduction to Steve Earle, if you've never heard it. And um, the other big one from that year that I got into later, and it was probably, like, ten years later, so around maybe 96 that I got into them more, and that was Metallica. And so Master of Puppets from 86 is just epic. Um, Obviously that song, Master of Puppets, and then uh, Battery, I think, is on that one as well. And then it it was actually like a great year for metal. Um, Yeah, Peace Cells. Yeah, Peace Cells Cells was there. And then Rain and Blood by Slayer was released that year. So like those albums are kind of like a trifecta of metal that it just like burst open the whole scene for for heavier music to get money from yeah, record companies. The big four were were all pumping out uh, pumping out good music at that time, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, so yeah. among the living came out in eighty seven. So. Uh, the the dude uh, guitarist from Slayer. Uh, Harry he, King. Yeah, he he played about, on um, Licensed Ill. Oh, did oh wow. he? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, where it's the uh, is it the No Sleep Till Brooklyn video? Uh, okay. where, where they're imitating all the hair metal. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah, yeah. 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 And, and I think he's in the nice. beginning of it of that, and he also he plays on it uh, on the nice. tune because uh, I'm sorry, who, who was it? Rick Rubin that that produced License. Yeah, Bill? yeah, he produced yeah. License. Yeah. He was producing yeah. Slayer at the same time. And yep, sure. Yeah. That was the connection. Right. Crazy. Good stuff, man. Um, so that would have been Cliff's last record with the band, right? Master of Puppets would have been. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 It would make yep. sense, yeah. Yes. Anyway. Um, for me, gosh, you know, and uh, I already talked about Poison, so you can see that I was listening to Poison and not uh, not New Order um, in 1986. <laughs> But you know, um, a lot of the, a lot of the music that was dubbed, I don't know, sort of college rock, or a lot of the music that was like critically acclaimed, because certainly New Order was a veteran band at that point. Um, you know, uh, they had been around for a few years. You know, after uh, after you know Joy Division um, disbanded, sort of, or I guess, sort of turned into New Order, um, but. You know that record, Brotherhood, to me um, is uh, it's it, it's got a uh, and it's something I have to admit I just I just 
started listening to them within probably the last five years. Um, you know, I, I kind of always just thought it was something that was like, you know, was too cool for me. You know what I mean? To like, like new order. Um, and, uh, but no brotherhood's great. It's, um, it's, uh, it's really, it's, it's, it's poppy kind of, and it's got a little bit of the electronic sound to it. Um, but it's just really well done. It's well crafted. Like even, you know, a lot of the stuff that we're talking about, um, while it's fun, it kind of sounds dated and, you know, I, I wouldn't say brotherhood sounds like it, it came out last week, but it, it holds up really well. It does. I think it does. Yeah. I, I just and, listened to it for the first time today and I thought it definitely holds up. Yeah. And I, I think the sound that they're doing inf- has influenced a lot of bands that have come out within the last five, you know, like now, maybe about five, 10 years that have really emerged within the last 10 years. Um, I think that sound has. So I've, I've certainly appreciated them more in recent years. And um, another one, um, uh, Love and Rockets Express came out that year. I think that's a really, really solid record. Um, and also um, Elvis Costello, who growing up, I just kind of thought he was the guy that was on the poster in Damone's room on Fast Times at Richmond High. Um <laughs> And, you know, I've always appreciated him, you know, like, um, but in 1986, he released Blood and Chocolate, and he, I think, um, had gotten back with the attractions, had gotten back with, you know, the band that he had been playing with. Well, he released two records that year, even. Two, two records King that year. Blood America as well, yeah. Right. Um, Blood and Chocolate was the one I like a lot, um, and it... Uh, you know, it's 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 got kind of a little bit of his classic sound. Like it, it sounds, even though it came out in the '80s, it kind of sounds like it could be one of his late '70s records. When absolutely, you know, like you know, something like right after, like you know, before like this year's model or something like that. Um, it's got that sound to it. So I, I think it's a really great record, and I've learned to appreciate him and all his diverse talents. You know, he's a real uh, he's a real chameleon. Both like, of uh, those, uh, King of America and Blood and Chocolate. I mean, a yeah. great example of two different sounds he can get. Uh, within a given year and it totally awesome production spot on yeah elvis is elvis is the king he's uh he's uh he's a he's a talented cat and uh i wish you know growing up i i maybe i would have appreciated him a little bit more um but all things in due time i makes me appreciate him even more now (laughs) so you know there, there was one more video i forgot to mention uh and uh it's it's by this band called the new york mets (laughs) (laughs) and and it it changed my life when i saw it on tuesday (laughs) 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 let's go mets go uh is is an amazing feat in uh uh, athletic uh dancing and (laughs) new york city cameos yeah it's synchronized lip syncing. Yeah. Like they should definitely win an award for that. And Joe Piscopo's involved. Well, and you know, yeah, he takes it over the top. It's over the because top. Because of course he is. Yeah, 1986. This is Piscopo's world, baby. Hell yeah, it was. You see Howard Stern at the end. Uh, we're talking 1986, Howard Stern. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's um, that's that video is like it it it. It's so inferior to Super Bowl Shuffle, but it's probably much superior to that shitty video that the Patriots put out in response to <laughs> Super Bowl Shuffle. We are the Patriots. You know what I'm talking about? 
It's better than that. Yeah, <laughs> it it is. It, it's it's it is uh, very entertaining. <laughs> yeah, it, it's cheese to the highest levels. Um, I love the fact that it just seems like it seems like they were trying to like be actually like goofier than the Super Bowl shuffle in parts of yeah. it, just because it's yeah. like some of the absurdity of of some of the lip syncing and the stuff that they're doing, and like Gary Carter's like playing with a cardboard cutout of himself, like hiding behind Carter's it. hamming it up. I, I love the beginning when, when, the, when they when they approach the kids, like flipping the cards, and it's and Dwight so, yeah, and Gary. We'll post this video online for all the viewers to see. What is this game? It's like they're playing Pong yeah, yeah, I don't, I, yeah, I don't know what like, the game I don't, is. But it's like they're going so fast, like it's war. Like they somehow know one's better than the other, like right, right as they're flipping them. I think they were just like waiting for the Mets card. Oh, maybe, maybe. Yes, I don't know. Okay, okay, okay. all right. <laughs> Look yeah. up this card; it could change my well, life. Well, well, talking about the you know the Mets of '86, um, you know that's uh, that's certainly the. Well, I guess obviously the Bears winning it, but you know that's that's the sports team of that year. Um, but it's interesting and, uh, because you talk more about the Red Sox losing than the yeah. Mets winning. That's a good I, point. I guess yeah. as a Red Sox fan for a long time, that was the case for me at least. The Buckner error overshadowed the Mets victory, unfortunately. Right. Yeah. Um, you know that was kind of. I think there's a there's a book out. There's a couple books out about the Mets. Um, the '86 Mets. I want to read that one um sort of about all the debauchery um Ron but, Darling's uh, got one coming out he, soon yeah right there's there's one called one year dynasty the Mets um and that's certainly kind of what that team was you know well they had won um, like 95 games a year before yeah uh, then they won yeah. 108 in 86 that's amazing yeah. Oh, yeah yeah they were they were they were they were the team man they, they and, won that um, division by 20 plus games yeah, and you know now it, it, at the time it was, I got, you know, I think the when Gooden and Strawberry really started to slip into, um, you know, they're really their their drug induced periods where they were you know constantly getting suspended and and um, you know and in car accidents and things like that. Um, you know, some of the uh, some of the shine they started it started the team you know really started to crack. And, you know, we were also living in the throes of the just say no era. So, you know, all those all those horror stories, um, you know, about drugs and uh, were, were really coming to light. And, um, you know, the Mets, they'll have that attached to them as well, you know, with uh, with uh, with Strawberry and Gooden and Hernandez. And, and Hernandez went there to try to clean up, too. I mean, yeah, yikes. yeah, that had to be <laughs> yeah. tough. Man, yeah. Hernandez admits to like three years of blow, so he's going to the Mets, right. and the Mets are just like having a big party. Well, yeah, I, it, it, the debauchery of that team, like Gabe said, it's just amazing that they got away with what they got away with for as long as they did, or that, no, that, today. It, that nobody died or got yeah. incarcerated for longer than what they did. So yeah. Ron Darling right. says I mean, I mean, his... strawberry, the, the struggles for Strawberry and Gooden persisted after that year, unfortunately. Yeah. And, 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 and it's, you know, unfortunately, it, it kind of marred both those guys' careers, yeah. which, you know, as everybody says, I don't think, you know, could have been Hall of Famers, those two, you know. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's a, hell of a hell of a team. And uh, 
it would make a kick-ass movie. I know. Oh, that. an amazing <laughs> movie. Sure. I mean, think about this. Ron Darling says that you know they're they're taking amphetamines before the games, and when they start, when, sometimes if the batters are starting to come down in the later innings, for some reason they go before they're at bat, they go into the into into the clubhouse, shotgun a beer, and then go <laughs> bat. And because apparently shotgunning the beer just like gets the amphetamines going again or something. Yeah. And uh, it's like this perfect level for him to just, I guess, hit a double. I've got a feeling Mike <laughs> Trout's probably not doing that. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm going to go out on a limb. <laughs> well, yeah, and so we have to mention the classic shot of, I don't know if it's from that season, but of Keith Hernandez just smoking a cigarette in the dugout. Dude's trying he's to like, stay ah. straight. <laughs> Like yeah. just just hit a double. Now I'm smoking a cigarette. He's he's like God. Anything it's as long as I stay off of the amphetamines, you know. It's, right. He's doing what he can. Yeah. <laughs> God bless him. Right. Yeah. Gotta love back in the day when you could smoke in the dugout. But he had uh, what Mookie Mookie Wilson on that team too, right? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. He was yeah. Kinda, he was the one that got the hit, the big hit, yeah. right? The big hit. Yeah. yeah he was. Uh, I think he was like a fourth outfielder there because George Foster was on that team, and they released him later in the year. Yeah. And Mookie Wilson and Kevin greatest, Mitchell. Yeah. Yeah. Kevin Mitchell was on that team. We're on yeah. the bench. One of the greatest baseball names of all time there in Mookie Wilson. Oh, yeah. 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 A great name. Yeah. Um, Another guy. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, and Howard Johnson was also on that bench. Ojo. Ojo. Yeah. 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 Uh, Roger McDowell, I think, on that team, too. Dude, yeah, Roger McDowell, McDowell that year, he had 14 wins and 22 saves. Wow. Wow. That's remarkable. You don't see that yeah. very no. often. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, another guy in 86 that, um, you know, uh, gave the Mets trouble, even though not not enough trouble to keep him from going to the World Series, was Mike Scott. And, um, you know, the Mike Scott actually, up until 1982, or the 83 season, I think, played for the Mets. So can you guys imagine if, like, they wouldn't have made that trade and they had Gooden and Scott? atop that road they didn't obviously they didn't need him they still won but but if they had gooden and mike scott in 1986 at the top of your rotation and not not to mention ron darling was actually a little bit better than than gooden that year yeah i mean if you had those three jesus oh my god yeah i mean essentially it would just it it would knock rick aguilera out of that rotation and that entire rotation would have had eras below three and a half Yeah, yeah yeah and all three guys that um you know God, we're so good that year, but couldn't really sustain their success. You know, not to say like Darling didn't have a good career, you know, and mm-hmm. and and Gooden didn't have moments of of uh, of of having, you know, uh, his brilliance, flashes of brilliance yeah, after yeah. that. Um, and, they just put and, it but, all you know, together, like everybody put it together for that. Yeah, year. yeah. But by the time the '90s arrived, Scott had fallen apart. You know. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, so it was kind of just really a moment in time, Scott, in the late 80s. You know, he's probably probably the best pitcher in baseball in 1986. And he, um, and he shut down the Mets for the the, the Mets lot. The Mets won the the NLCS uh, yeah, but four games to two. But it was, yeah, it was Mike Scott who beat him those two times. Yeah. Yeah. It, so um, just really kind of a, a brief but brilliant career for Mike Scott, you know. Yeah, I guess he had developed a split finger fastball in the off season and uh, before that or the 85 year and mm-hmm. uh, that that enabled his his productivity to go through the yeah. roof uh throughout the late uh, 80s. 
You would have had him and Nolan Ryan in the same rotation, right? Yeah. In, right? 86 Astros, I think. 86 Astros, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oof. Oh. Look out. Um, but, um, but yeah, and so the, the Mets uh, accused him of uh, scuffing. Yeah. They accused him of scuffing, so that, you know, that kind of further further taints his career, I guess. Um, I don't yeah, know. I mean, I, it, it sounds like it was almost sour grapes on the Mets' part. Yeah. You know, just to and, be like, to try to blame it on something. I'm sure the raw stuff was still there. You know, I mean, yeah, he, well, probably, yeah, no, he had some no, tricks up his sleeve, yeah. but. But yeah, you know, it's uh, with, to me, like scuffing the ball and messing with the ball a little bit like that is like how guys maybe have pine tar a couple inches too high on their bat sure. than what they should. Yeah. 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 I, I don't, I don't think either one of those two things makes that player be able to be how they are. You know what I mean? If, yeah, I think George guy, Brett still would have been pretty good. Yeah, you know I think I mean? George Brett was going to still hit that home run, whether or not that pine tar was there. I think Mike Stott was still going to be be Mike Scott without having to mess with the ball. Yeah. But, you know. But, yeah, Scott was, Scott was in the Mets' heads because I think it was Carter uh, who asked the ump to check the ball. He, Carter had two strikes on him in in that first game that Scott was pitching in the NLCS. And after the second strike, Carter asked the ump to check the ball. And he checked it and just threw it back to Scott. And it was all downhill for the Mets from there as as uh, uh, Scott just, just uh, set him up and knocked him down. Well, As a Cubs fan, they were awful that year. They were 70 and 90. <laughs> <laughs> just another forgettable 80s Cubs season. Yeah. Well, guys, you know, the I, I was thinking of the Astros. Beautiful jerseys, in my opinion, in 1986 for the Astros. I'll always like those. Um, but, you know, before we get into the baseball cards, a lot of baseball cards, players are sporting batting practice jerseys. I assume that's when a lot of, you know, it's when a lot of the photographs were taken for the cards. Do you spring guys have training, any? Yeah. yeah. Or spring training, yeah. Do you guys have any favorite spring training or batting practice jerseys from that uh, from that era? Because, you know, right now, I think a lot of baseball's best looking tops are the alternate jerseys. You know, I I like the I like the solid team color. You know, I like the Astros one a lot right now. Um, I like the. uh, um you know, there's some of the the blue, the baby powder blues that the Royals Mm -hmm. wear kind Mm -hmm. of kind of resurrected. Um, I think those are oftentimes a team's best. I'd, I'd even prefer if those replace the road jerseys, you know? Yeah. That's just yeah, how the, I, the draft. As road far race. as the eighties, I, I really like some of the A's. They had usually yeah. either solid green or solid yellow. Yeah. And, uh, they were that type of material where they were like basketball, Jersey, baseball, Jersey, mm-hmm. mesh. Yeah. that mesh. Mm-hmm. The Mariners had some really nice looking blue ones mm-hmm. back then. Uh, All nice and snug fitting too. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, and, and I, I was reading uh, in Dan Epstein's book, and he talks about in the seventies how uh, you know the A's and the Pirates really pioneered this idea of you know taking the jerseys to some different places and actually just wearing pullovers for the game rather than having to button up. And um, and also have, you know, tons of different color combinations. And yeah. so that like after, you know, the the you know, the Pirates, the We Are Family and and the A's had, had their run in the seventies, so in the eighties I think most teams had embraced that and gave gave you all of these batting practice jerseys 
uh, you know, these Cubs, kind of pullovers. The Cubs had a solid blue pullover in like 84, mm-hmm. 85, around there. Yeah, yeah um, not a bad looking jersey. White Sox had a red one. Yeah, uh, I remember with, that one. Uh, yeah, with just the, you know, the all caps sock yeah, that's across the chest. Too. Yeah. And and they're better to wear as fans, you know. They're better mm-hmm. than the button up cuz the button up is almost like a dress shirt. It's like really big, yeah, but it, just right. to wear the pullover like, you know, we can pull that off. Yeah. Uh, I, I have a Robin Yount one that's a pullover from Mitchell and Ness that I I thoroughly nice. enjoy. Yeah. Nice. Well, that said, guys, it's time to show your cards. Why don't we uh go ahead and lay these on the table here? Um, Levi, what do you got? Well, I'm going to go with, uh, one of my main men from back then. Um, not a cub. <laughs> He's in an alternate Jersey. I'm assuming it's a batting practice Jersey. It's the 86 tops Cal Ripken card. Uh, let me pull up, see if you guys can see it here. Black Jersey. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there we go. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't have my camera there. There we go. And so, yeah, it's a black alternate Jersey, red, or uh, orange Orioles and like orange scallops, I guess. I don't know what you'd call them on these sleeves, but um, just a great looking card. And uh, it, it's just 86 tops, man. You got to love it. It's just classic. Yeah. It's 55 Chevys and 86 tops. <laughs> it's, it's a Dwight Yoakam song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I like the 86 tops are, you know, as I mentioned during our last, our most recent episode, it's really when I got into cards too. You know, I, I don't I don't know if I had the whole set, but I had probably pretty close. Um, so it was uh, it was an important year for me. Yeah, and I think some of my first cards were '86 tops hand me downs, as I like, mm-hmm. couldn't buy my own cards. I think till I was '87. So right, um, mine is also an '86 tops, but with a twist. It's this is George Bell. You know, it's oh, the red I know what top. that is. You know what that? I know what that. <clears throat> this is the yeah. bottom of the box. Box. So yeah. the, 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 the box of cards would have, as many people know, four cards on the bottom, and then you, you would have to cut them out. Cut them out. Yeah. Yeah. And that looks like a pretty good cut job there. Whoever yeah, yeah, nice yeah, this wasn't bad. Use an X-Acto knife yeah. on that or something? Yeah, yeah, so my brother Sean probably cut this out. And, and that was when he uh, was spelling his name with a J. With the right? J, right. And I tried to look up on his, fa- on his Facebook page, on, on his Wikipedia page, if there was any comment on that. Um, there isn't, uh, when he went from J to G-E-O. Um, which actually brings up a point today, where um, uh, baseball is trying to is trying to get teams uh, who have Latino players, all of them, uh, to put uh, the correct uh, accents on their jerseys and mm-hmm. to to get these names more exact. Because I I'm gonna assume I don't know for sure, but you know uh, uh, Jorge I don't know if it's pronounced Jorge or it's just George changed to GEO probably pressure maybe from whatever team had him at the time. I don't know if it was a White Sox or whatever. Or agent. Or yeah, or an like agent that. to, yeah. you know, make them maybe yeah. a little bit more marketable because George Bell yeah. um, is could be anybody. Could be white, black, Latino. doesn't matter. Um, They're like, you're going to be famous someday. you got to put G-E-O on that. Yeah, yeah. Right? Um, or like Georgie Bell. Yeah, what? right. <laughs> <laughs> so, but but he is sporting a uh, the blue pole over there. I think this is probably spring nice. training. Gabe, it's got those nice holes in there to breathe. And oh, yeah. uh, a little uh, blue and white and gray trim on there and that, that classic Blue Jays hat. I just have like money to blow someday. Like maybe I'll become like an, a mid eighties batting practice Jersey collector. <laughs> nice. Like, yes. Uh, I'm looking for the Kent Herbreck. <laughs> 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 uh, 
My <laughs> prize. <laughs> Alan Trammell's on the way. <laughs> nice. Levi Levi wears his Teddy Hagera on Wednesdays. Ooh, nice. Uh, yes. But anyway. Nice. Well, mine, I've also got a Blue Jay, actually. And um, it, you know, I, as I, I'm looking through older cards when we do the show your cards, um, most of them I remember. You know, I'm like, oh, yeah, I kind of remember collecting that card or coming across it in my collection. This one, I don't remember at all until I found it earlier today. This is pre-Japan mm. Cecil Field. Oh, yeah, yeah, I had that card, too. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. I, I guess I just card. remember... I, I mean, I, I know that he played on Toronto before he went to Japan, and then he came back yeah. from Detroit, hit all those yeah. home runs, right? But yeah. I don't remember this card, and huh. you know, obviously until I saw it earlier today. So yeah, this is Cecil, also in uh, what looks to be the batting practice jersey. Yep. And uh, yeah, that's pre- so, that was pretty uh, beat up. Was that hiding in your couch or something? Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> this is this is not even near mint. This is. Uh, <laughs> This is, uh, I don't even know if it's even in good condition. Yeah. That's I don't think circulated. It would That's yeah. circulated, bro. Circulated. Yeah. <laughs> right. A lot of them, a lot of them that look like, uh, I use them as throwing stars at one time. So, um, the corner's kind of round. Yeah. Right. So that's, yeah, that's, that's a little... Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I just want to say that if I'd known there was some kind of form of gambling game with baseball cards when I was a kid, I could be in like an alley right now. Right, like, things just things <laughs> right. could have totally turned out. Waiting to play Slapjack McDowell or like, ah, the come on, is. come on, I gotta flip cards, man. I need to flip cards. <laughs> Levi just just betting it all. <laughs> I'm letting it ride on Jesse Orozco. Right, <laughs> come on, Chico Walker, come on, Chico Walker. Ah. Oh, Chili Davis deciding your fate. Anyway, right, yes. Ow! All right, guys. So, um. Good times, 1986. Um, we'll uh, everybody out there, week. tell us, everybody yeah. listening, tell us what your favorite 1986 things are. Tell us what we didn't get. Hashtag Field what... Guide 1986. Yes, there yep. we go. There's there you go. go. We needed a hashtag. Hashtag Field, field Guide 1986. Uh, 1986, too, it's been fun. You know, kind of a better place to revisit than I think a lot of people imagine I learned a lot. Be. Yeah. It gave me more hope about that era. Yeah, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. It wasn't too bad. Um, so for everybody, uh, again, t- uh, hashtag Field Guide 1986. Also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Rock in Chew. Go to rockchew.com to find previous episodes and links to all kinds of cool things. Uh, also, please rate us on iTunes or any other podcast application that you get your rock and roll Shinsu Chew. Um and uh, we're on yeah, Stitcher. tell all your friends. We're on as Stitcher, well. by the way. We're on Stitcher. Yeah. Yes. So you can you can check us out there. We're on Downcast as well. So mm-hmm. um yeah, yeah. Any way you want to listen to us, just listen. Um until next time, we'll see everybody later. Have a good night. Peace.